Before we uh, start the message this morning, well, I, I would, I've been really moved by the, the events in Florida, and I thought we would just pray for the, uh, the people who are still trapped and the families. Um, let's just do that now. Lord, as we come before you, we um, are grieved by the events that took place in Florida this week of the collapse of the building. We think of <clears throat> over 150 souls that are uh, buried under the uh, compression of that building, and we just pray, Lord, if there are any survivors, that you might grant the rescuers the ability to find them and retrieve them from the building alive. Lord, if um, there are none, we pray that you might come alongside of well each family member that is suffering uh, the loss of loved ones. We just ask you to comfort them and, and draw near to them. And we especially pray, Lord, that at this time of grief in their lives, they might turn to you and be saved. And we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, as we continue in the book of Matthew, our message today is based on Matthew 21, verses 28 through 32. Uh, it is a continuation, actually, of David's message from last week. And if we set the scene once again, Jesus is in the temple. The chief priests and the religious leaders, the elders, confront him and question his authority. And so I want to read that section first, which begins in verse 23. <clears throat> now, when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? But Jesus answered and said to them, I, will, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. <clears throat> How would you answer that question? <clears throat> Was John's baptism from heaven... Was it from God or was it from men? And we know from the scripture that John's baptism was from heaven. It was from God. In fact, it says that in the Bible. John 1, 7 and 8 says this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And he came that people might believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the, the verse, there was a man sent from God whose name was John is verse 6. And then the explanation of what he did is verses 7 and 8. He came to point to the Lord Jesus to draw people to him that they might be saved. <clears throat> so the religious leaders knew that Jesus, or that John, I should say, was from God. And they even said that in their argument with each other as they talked about these things. They said, well, <clears throat> if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why did you not believe in him? If they had believed John's message, they would have also had to believe in John's Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, because John pointed to the Lord Jesus. 
When John was baptizing at the river Jordan, the religious rulers came out to listen to him, but they did not repent of their sins. They were there. They saw what was happening, but they would not repent of their sins. Bill MacDonald wrote about this in verse, uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. He says this about the rulers. The Pharisees professed great devotion to the law, but they were inwardly corrupt, sectarian, hypocritical, and self-righteous. <clears throat> the Sadducees were social aristocrats and religious skeptics who denied such basic doctrines as the resurrection of the body, the existence of angels, the immortality of the soul, and eternal punishment. John, when he saw them standing there watching the baptisms, he essentially pointed his finger at them and said, brood of vipers. That's a pretty strong term when you're talking to another person. Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And he indicated to them that they should be baptized for repentance, uh, believing in the Lord. They refused to do it. John spoke of Jesus this way, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John not only called them brood of vipers, called them to repentance, but told them who the Lord Jesus was. They still did not believe. They never did repent of their sins. They rejected the ministry of John the Baptist and the message of John, and they rejected the ministry and message of Jesus. And yet they knew deep in their heart, if we say that John's ministry is from heaven, he will say, why didn't you believe him? That is the necessary response to John's message. They knew John was sent from God. And they knew Jesus was the Son of God and that he had the authority to do the things that he did. And so this behavior is nothing short of willful blindness. So let's get back to the main question that they asked. Now when he had come into the temple, the chief priests and elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? And when they refused to answer the question about John, Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And so their questions were about his authority. Who was he? They wanted to know who gave him the authority to come into the temple, to overturn the money changers' tables. By what authority did he drive out all the merchants? Who did he think he was? And the answer is, he is the Lord. And so I want to look at <clears throat> things that were obvious, not just to the Jewish religious leaders, but also to all of the people. And we are going to see as we go through this list, the difference in response between the Jewish leaders and the people. The Jewish leaders saw the Lord act as if he owned the temple. When he came in and he threw out the money changers, overthrew the uh, tables, cast them all out, he acted as if he owned the temple. Well, he did. He is the Lord. 
The Bible says in Psalm 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. So He is the owner of all things. He is the creator of all things. And He is the master, the Lord of all things. Everything and everyone. And in the Old Testament, the temple is repeatedly called the temple of the Lord. He is the Lord. It's His temple. He can do with it what He wants. The religious rulers knew that the last book of the Bible, Malachi chapter 3, predicted the coming of the Messiah. And this is what uh, Malachi wrote about both John and Jesus, the Messiah. He says this, Behold, I send my messenger, that's John, and he will prepare the way before me, that's Jesus, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple, or come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And for 400 years there was silence. That's the last message, essentially. The Lord is coming. He's going to come suddenly. He's going to come into his temple. That's it. I'm not saying anything more until that happens. And this is what happens. Jesus comes into his temple and he cleanses it. The verse was partially fulfilled by John the Baptist and by Jesus at his first coming. And Jesus suddenly came into his temple. He cleansed it. The point is that it was and is, or well, not now, it's not there anymore, but it was his temple. He had a right as God, as the Lord, to enter his temple and to cleanse it from all corruption. And that's what he did. The Jewish leaders saw that. They questioned his authority over that. So second, I want to look at how the Jewish leaders were there when Jesus was baptized and their response to it. So John the Baptist was baptizing people at the Jordan River. Matthew chapter 3, verse 7 says, John saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism. They were there in full force. They wanted to know what this religious guy was doing. He was, he was calling people to repentance. They were the religious leaders. They were not calling people to repentance. John was. So who is this guy? And they came out to see his baptism. In the same chapter, so that's Matthew 3, verse 7, in the same chapter in verses 16 and 17, Jesus was baptized. And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, remember, the Pharisees and Sadducees are there, behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly, remember, they're still there, and they hear a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Everyone who was there saw this event. And it says that uh, in uh, Luke, I believe it is, that, that John came and baptized, and many people came. The people responded to John's baptism of repentance. They recognized they were sinners. They needed to turn to God and they came to be baptized. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, stood on the sideline uh, looking at what was happening, saw Jesus baptized, saw the events, heard the voice, and uh, they're without excuse. 
everyone saw heaven open. Everyone saw the Holy Spirit descending upon him, anointing him for his ministry on earth. Everyone heard the voice of God, the Father, endorsing Jesus as Lord. And um, everyone heard the testimony of God's pleasure in the Son. So the religious leaders could not claim ignorance of who Jesus was. They knew what authority he had, and so did the people. The event was a public display. It was not something hidden in a back room. Let's take a look at something else. The Jewish leaders knew who Jesus was, and so did the people, because Jesus told them himself. He gave testimony of himself. In Luke chapter 4, I love this passage because it's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He comes into the uh, temple. He's given the book of uh, the scroll of Isaiah and he's asked to read it. So he reads this passage from Isaiah chapter 61. And it's found in Luke 4, 16 through 21. So he came to Nazareth, Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel of the, to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord." And then he closed the book, he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And so the Lord made it very plain. This was his own testimony of who he is. Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2 that we just read is a description of the coming Messiah, the one who would come into the world and answer humanity's deepest problems, poverty, sorrow, slavery, physical suffering, oppression, and all of the side effects, all of these are side effects of sin. But he came not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. In the Bible, a prophet or a priest, or a king, uh, was normally anointed with oil as they began their ministry or service uh, before the Lord. The Lord wasn't anointed with oil. The Holy Spirit of God anointed him um, at his baptism and anointed him for his service and his public ministry for three years. The religious leaders knew because he told them. You remember at one point, John the Baptist had... Uh, been suffering, and he sent some of his disciples to Jesus to see, are you really the coming one? Are you really the Messiah? I've been preaching that you are. Are you really the one, or do we look for another? And so in Luke seven twenty, it says this, when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And that very hour, in their presence, he cured many, of, many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. 
And Jesus said to them, Go and tell John the things that you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. The poor have the gospel preached to them. The religious leaders followed Jesus wherever he went, not because they were followers of him, but because they wanted to trap him. They were there. They heard this. They knew what Jesus said at the beginning of his ministry. They heard what he said here. Jesus was pointing to the Old Testament scriptures and saying, this, these things are the qualifications of the Messiah. And I am showing you, I am displaying to you those qualifications uh, in my ministry. And he proved it for three years. The religious leaders knew what authority he had, and so did the people. And it, it was the people who turned to him. They came to him. They trusted him. They believed him, and they were saved. The, the religious leaders refused to. And they would not have this man reign over him. They would not have him as Lord over their lives. And so he gave public testimony of who he was. It was not something that was published on the back page of a newspaper. It was obvious to all. Number four, the Jewish leaders knew Jesus was Lord, for they saw his mighty works. Now, I won't go over everything David went through last week. Go back and listen to the sermon. But as he went through each of these things, he mentioned Jesus' mighty works, which were proofs, evidences that Jesus was who he said he was. He was God. And so I'll just mention a few of them. He had power over all sickness, the scripture says. So leprosy, blindness, and all the rest of it, fever, and so on. He had authority over demons. He, had, uh, he was able to feed 5,000 men, plus women and children, with two loaves and Three, no, five loaves and two fish, that's what it was. And four, uh, 4,000 men plus women and children with seven loaves and a few fish. <clears throat> In each case, there was a huge surplus left over, far more than he started with. He has control over nature. The wind and the sea obey him. He has charge over the laws of nature, even suspending the laws of physics. When he walked on the water or when he uh, instantly turned water into good wine with apparent age characteristics built in. He has authority over legions of angels that he could call at any time to rescue him from the crucifixion, and he chose not to do that. He had authority over the fallen angels, the demons who were subject to his word as well. Just go through all of those passages of his authority, his power over everything. He is Lord. And he showed it. He demonstrated it over and over again. Jesus said in John 14, 11, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. Or else believe me for the works themselves. Just look at the works. It's overwhelming evidence of who I am. His works alone prove that he is Lord. Yet they questioned his authority. The religious Leaders knew what authority he had. So did the people. Jesus displayed it very publicly. They were eyewitnesses of these things. But the religious leaders in the temple that day 
refused to answer his simple question. Tell me, by whose authority did John baptize? Was it from heaven or from man? They do. They knew. Stubbornly refused. And so the Jewish leaders in the passage we have before us this morning are condemned for their unbelief. Matthew 21, 28 through 32. So he asked them another question. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise, and he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? How would you answer that question? Which one? did the will of his father? What do you say? Anybody? The first. And that's exactly what they said. The first. So you all got it right. A. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him, and when you saw it, you did not afterwards relent and believe him. The scripture is interesting. It has many stories. Um, in fact, there, there are several stories of two sons. Um, I think of, the, of Cain and Abel. Cain's bloodless sacrifice was rejected by God, but Abel, who by faith offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. The, the point is that God gave Cain and Abel, and Adam and Eve for that matter, um, an indication of his will. He told them his will, that in order for their sins to be covered, a blood sacrifice had to be made. An animal, an innocent victim, a, a spotless innocent victim had to be killed, his blood shed, and that would cover their sins. And Abel said, I believe God. I believe that, that's, that God is uh, telling the truth. And that's what I'm going to do. And Abel offered a better sacrifice. Cain said, no, I don't think it matters how you come to God. I don't think it matters whether you come with a blood sacrifice. I don't think, I don't think it matters at all. I'm going to just get the fruit from the ground of my own labors, and I'm going to bring that to God. God's going to have to accept me. I mean, it's a gift after all. And God rejected Cain, and he accepted Abel's offering. Jacob valued the birthright and promises of God. And Esau is actually called a profane person in the New Testament who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. I think of the prodigal son and his brother. The prodigal son essentially said no to his father. I want to live my own life. I want to live it my own way. I want to go out and, and enjoy the world. And he went out and lived prodigal living. I mean, he lived um, just serving and, and, and satisfying his own needs and his own desires. But later he repented. And he said, I will go to my father and I will say, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. Make me as one of your hired servants. That's, that's repentance. That's brokenness and repentance. But the other son... Uh, 
felt like he needed no repentance. And he was actually disturbed by the father's response to the, uh, the prodigal son. The scripture talks about two sons. And here we have another example of that today. Both sons were called to work in the father's vineyard. One son initially refused, but then he repented and he did go out and work in the field. The, first, the second son said, oh yeah, I'll go out, sir. Actually gave him a, a title of honor. Let's, let's honor our father, sir. And uh, went out to uh, serve in the field, but he never went. He never did go. He never did work in the father's vineyard. And so Jesus asked the religious rulers, which of the two did the will of the father? The obvious answer, as you've all noted, is the first one. Initially, he didn't want to do his father's will. But then he repented of it and did. And so Jesus interprets the parable. The first son represents the tax collectors, the harlots, who were, by their life, initially resistant to the Lord's will, the Father's will. They were doing sinful things. They were sinners. They were not obeying the Father's will. But they repented, and they demonstrated their repentance by being baptized by John the Baptist, which opened their eyes to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The second son, Jesus interprets, uh, represents the religious leaders who came out to see John baptize the people. They seemed to be following God, for they were leading the people in spiritual matters. It appeared that they had said yes to the Father's will, but they never acknowledged their sin. They never repented of their sins. They rejected John the Baptist's ministry, and they never followed through with baptism for repentance of their sins. And they flatly rejected Jesus as they were doing in the temple in this story. And so the application of this parable is this. Sinners, such as tax collectors and harlots, who initially sin against God, will later repent of their sins and trust in Jesus Christ as the one that John pointed to, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. These sinners have their sins forgiven and enter the kingdom of heaven. They will go to heaven. But the self-righteous religious leaders are just like the children of Israel as they stood at the, the foot of Mount Sinai. And when Moses came down with the tablets of the law and he read the law to them, they all said, all these things we will do. And uh, he says, all, they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. But they didn't obey God. In fact, they had already broken the law by creating idols, making idols and worshiping them. And the religious leaders of Jesus' day were just like the children of Israel in the, in the wandering, in the desert wilderness. Jesus said, which of the two did the will of his father? The first. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. He's not saying that they're going to eventually come themselves. They never came. But as a priority, as, at, as first and only, actually, 
uh, they believed and they entered into the kingdom of God. For John came to you in the way of righteousness. In other words, John came declaring God's righteousness and how we must turn from our sin and turn to the Lord uh, to be saved. Repent, it's a ministry of repentance. And he says, and you did not believe him, but tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterwards relent and believe him. This is the amazing thing. They watched as ultimately as Jesus transformed the lives of sinners. Sinners who had lived lives of sin, rebellion against God, and their lives were transformed. And they saw that. And they had never experienced it themselves. They thought they were righteous. They were self-righteous, but they, they never knew the righteousness of God. Jesus came to save sinners. And if we are sinners, we're qualified for his salvation. Self-righteous people will never go to heaven. Scripture's plain. Tax collectors, I'm going to look, take a look at a couple of cases here of tax collectors and sinners. So that you, we've already seen the response of the religious rulers. Now I want to see the response of tax collectors and sinners. So the first one is found in Luke chapter 7, verses 29 and 30. And when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. So the tax collectors didn't make God righteous. They're declaring that God is righteous in demanding um, uh, or requiring them to repent of their sins and to be baptized. Uh, so they were baptized with the baptism of John, but the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. And so the tax collectors repented. They did the will of God. They had initially, by their lifestyle, said, we will not go. We will not trust in him. We will not believe or do God's will. But later they repented and they came to know the Lord uh, for themselves. The Pharisees rejected God's authority over them. Another case is found in Luke 18, 9 through 14. And he also, also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I possess, and the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And this is Jesus' conclusion to that parable. I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other, the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted." How is it that this one tax collector humbled himself before Jesus 
as Lord. He was declared righteous by God and the Pharisee was not. The, the tax collector did the Father's will. And finally, we come to a story that to me is a very moving story every time I read it. It's a story of a broken woman and a proud Pharisee. And the proud Pharisee questions in his mind who Jesus is. But a broken, sinful woman understands who he is and bows, bows down before him. Luke 7, starting in verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner... When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster, an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he answered, or he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins... Are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Those who sat at the table, were they not Pharisees? Were they not the religious leaders? Jesus forgave sins in their presence. Did they know who he was? He just showed them. Who he was. This is a wonderful story of the gospel. Simon the Pharisee invited Jesus to his house for a meal, and this woman enters into the house, a woman who is known as a sinner. She was obviously a woman of ill repute, probably a prostitute, a harlot, and despised by Simon the Pharisee. He characterized, Simon characterizes her as a sinner, and in his heart he despises her and even condemns Jesus for allowing her to touch him. But at the end of the story, 
Jesus says that her behavior is actually an act of faith in him. Her action shows that she recognizes who Jesus is. And as a sinner, she comes to him and brings with her, she, she planned this in advance, she brought with her her most prized possession, an alabaster flask filled with fragrant oil. Her richest gain she counts as loss and pours the fragrant oil upon his feet and mixes it with her tears. And in doing so, she pours content on all her pride. Does she know that Jesus will soon die for her sins? She might. He had certainly spoken those words. I don't know. But she did know that Jesus loves sinners. And she did know that Jesus could forgive her sins. The woman believed what the religious leaders refused to believe. And yet they all saw and heard and witnessed the same things. Probably the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders, saw more of it because they were looking to condemn him. But they all saw it. They all heard it. Two responses, two completely different responses, and two completely different eternal destinies for these people. She stands behind him, weeping, continuously wiping his feet with her hair. The Bible says that a woman's hair is her glory. And in effect, she was laying her glory at Jesus' feet. She laid everything at Jesus' feet. And if she had more, she would have laid that at his feet too. She might have been able to sing with the songwriter, Were the whole realm of nature mine? That were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. When we think of what Howard talked about this morning in his devotional, of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for our sins, our response to him should be like the first son. Lord, I don't go, because we were sinners. We did not follow the Lord's will in our life. But in repentance, we turn to him, trust him as our Savior, and honor him as Lord. And so, as Savior, he saves us from sin. But as Lord, we submit ourselves to his will in every area of our life. It's really a surrender. It's, it's saying, look, Lord, I was an enemy of yours. I was fighting against you. I was resisting your will. And here I am now, and I surrender to you. Be Lord of my life. You are already Lord. Now just control every aspect of my life from top to bottom. The one who has been forgiven much loves much. How much have you been forgiven? I can't even begin to tell you. I hope the emotions aren't just <laughs> the medicine. 
You know, I, I moved at her response to the Lord. The thing that was most precious to her, she laid at his feet. What is most precious to you in your life? Lay it at his feet. This is why Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, You can look it up and read it, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you by the mercies of God uh, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's, it's your worship to Him. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Who gave you this authority, Lord? <laughs> you are the Lord. It's yours just by your nature and by right. He has the right to reign, to rule in our lives. Surrender that right that you're claiming or holding on to, to him, and live for him each day. Um, Daniel, I think we have a song. Um, the words are familiar, the tune may not be, so if you want, we're not going to stand or lead it or anything. Um, if you want to hum along or sing along with it, it's a little different tune, but it's, sort, it's more um, uh, sort of a thoughtful uh, tune to, to listen to the words. And then I think, Matt, you'll close in prayer. Thanks.